I wonder what um, I wonder what the demons do when they hear us declaring the great name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This it reminds me of how John recorded it when Jesus was betrayed by Judas and they're standing um, in the garden and these people come to arrest him and they ask him, are you Jesus? And he said, I am. And the moment he spoke those words, everyone just fell down because of the power that comes through the name of our God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When he speaks his name, the demons flee. And I'm telling you what, if you're in here today and you're not on his side, you better get on his side because that's the side you want to be on. Hey, go ahead and have a seat, church. Welcome to Summit Church. And uh, I'm going to turn to a passage in Isaiah before we get going here because um, I understand there's been some debate um, kind of rolling around the church regarding, well, we're supposed to be outside today. And of course, the first time I preached outside, I didn't have shoes on. And uh, we're supposed to be outside. And so I hear that some people have been discussing as to whether or not I'm actually going to wear shoes today when I preach because we're going to be inside. So I have shoes on, but I'd like to, I'd like to share something with you that, was, that came to mind. First of all, Bjorn, he sent me a text and he was like, hey, look, you're in good company because Moses uh, was told, take your shoes off because you stand on holy ground. Well, this is cement, and so I wouldn't call it holy ground, but the place where we gather, the name of the Lord Jesus is here, his presence is here, and so we are in a place that is absolutely holy because he is here. But listen to what Isaiah chapter 52 says. As a prophet says this, how beautiful upon the mountains, we are summit church, and I love this, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, to, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns, the voice of your watchmen. They lift up their voice, Together they sing for joy, for eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all of the nations. And at the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. I don't know if my feet are beautiful, but I do know this. Myself and Jasper and Bjorn and anyone else that um, steps foot on the stage, we find it a great and amazing privilege to be the ones that declare the salvation of the Lord, the gospel message to you week by week. And so, for those of you who are wondering, we're going to do this. And so those, stop it. Those of you in the back row might be like, wow, he has beautiful feet. But those of you who happen to be in the front row know that that's actually not the case. So I pray that my feet are not a distraction to you this morning, but I am going to pretend we are outside and so should you, um, because any day that we get to experience the Lord and his creation is a wonderful day. And uh, so here we are. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we um, take a look into his word. Thank you so much, Father, for the power that is, is, that exists in your great name. Thank you, God, for your amazing word. 
that you declare your gospel message, our salvation. Thank you for the cross of Jesus Christ that provided a way for us to come into relationship with you and to enter into your eternal kingdom and, and, and make, make the things of this world so insignificant in comparison to what we have as we are on your side in your kingdom. Father, I ask today that you would declare your word. Lord, as we open it together, may you do the speaking. Um, and, and I ask, Lord, that you would stand between uh, the deliverer of your word and the church. And I pray, Lord, that you would be the filter and that you would prepare each heart to hear exactly what you have to say to each heart. And we bring this before you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so uh, we're, we're taking a one Sunday pause in our study in James called Real Faith um, because the, the next passage is addressing why we fight. And it didn't really feel like a, uh, a party atmosphere kind of passage as we would be outside and entering into a picnic together, addressing why we would quarrel and fight together. And so um, the Lord impressed upon me to take us to what Matt shared with our kids, Jesus walking on water and inviting Peter to step out of the boat and walk on water with him. And uh, so, but... At the, you know, even as, we, even as we take a break from James for today, there is still conviction as I look through this passage. While Jesus is to be celebrated and how he expressed himself in his might and his power and his, and his love for Peter and the disciples, uh, there still is conviction that comes that we cannot escape. And so I trust that the Holy Spirit of God is going to convict you um, and meet you exactly where you need to be met today. And so I want to ask you a question as we get going. What frightens you? What is it that frightens you? And I know most of you, if I, were to give it, if I were to give you the opportunity, would say things like snakes and spiders. But I want you to know the thing that frightens me most of all is the thought of eternal separation from Jesus Christ. And that means spending eternity in hell. There was a day in my life where that was such a fearful thought for me. I had two dreams. They weren't recurring, but I remember them today. And this is the one. I stood in judgment before God on judgment day, and he condemned me to hell in a dream. That was an absolutely terrifying moment to hear God say to me, you're not worthy, I condemn you to hell. That was one. Here's the next one. Things that frightened me, this one was a barren land, burned and scorched. And I was tied up laying on a conveyor with a bunch of other people, a conveyor belt. And it was going, and, and ahead you could see this big gaping hole with flames licking out of it. I had been sentenced to eternity in hell, and I'm laying on the conveyor belt as I'm with others being taken to be dropped into that. That's, that was another very terrifying, terrifying dream because of the reality of what that dream was suggesting is that you are about to spend eternity in torment apart from the person of Jesus Christ. Two dreams, that scares me, scared me, frightened me to death. But even as I ask the question, what frightens you? What are the things that actually bring you confidence and chase away fear? Well, Jesus provides an answer for those two dreams that I had when he presents to me the gospel message of Jesus Christ. You no longer have to fear those things. 
because I've taken care of that and I have brought you into my family. You know what's crazy? If you were to say, Todd, how did you come to know the gospel message of Jesus Christ? What, some of you are old enough to know this, and I know I've shared this with you before. What 10-year-old child sits with his grandfather and, and, is, and watches and is intrigued by the PTL club? Jim Baker. Remember that? Way back in the 70s. 10 years old, I would say I was. And Jim Baker's giving the gospel presentation, and I am engaged by this. And he provides the opportunity for you, for me, to pray the prayer, and I did it. That's the first recollection I have of being presented with when I was able to receive it, the gospel message of Jesus Christ. That's when Jesus began to deal with my fears about what eternity looked like. He brought me into his kingdom, and he established me there, and he said, this is where your confidence needs to be. What are the things that bring you confidence, the things that chase away your fear? Well, Jesus speaks truth always, and he says this about this world. In this world, you're going to have trouble. You will have trouble. Even if you're in relationship with me, you live in a broken, fallen, sinful, wretched world that is groaning for the return of Christ. And that's what you're going to have to deal with and live with, even as you are in relationship with me. There will be moments that will test us. And we're about to see today that the disciples, along with Peter, were presented with a very interesting test. Peter, I want you to step out of the boat. It's time to get out of the boat. And I want you to come to me on the water. There are moments in your life where Jesus is saying, it's time to step out of the boat. This little safe place that you believe to be safe, this boat, I want you to step out and I want you to come to me on the water. Testing moments are going to come. But even when Jesus says, in this life, in this world, you will, will have trouble, you will have tribulation, moments to test your faith, he says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And when Jesus says, take heart, I have overcome the world, this very one that has overcome every single thing that you can imagine that you would have to deal with, every testing moment, Jesus makes a promise that I will never, ever leave you or forsake you. Once you are mine, I am with you forever. Confidence-building truths. And so... As we start to enter into this passage today, I want to ask you a question. How is Jesus asking you to step out of the boat? I know you are all very familiar with the passage. Disciples in a boat, three or four miles off land, they're against the wind. It's the third watch of the night. Jesus comes walking on water, and he says to Peter, after settling their fears, thinking that he was a ghost, he says, Peter, come on out. So I want you to be thinking right now, how is Jesus asking you to step out of the boat? How is Jesus asking you to walk on water? And I suppose some of you right now are saying, my goodness, I can't walk on water. And the truth is, you're right, you cannot, apart from the person of Jesus Christ, you can't. But he's asking you to step out of the boat. Some of you, he may be calling you to step out of the boat and speak a hard truth to a loved one in your life. Some of you, he might be saying, no, I want you to stay in that marriage that you desperately want out of. For some, he might be asking you to release your child to begin to experience the consequences of his choices or her choices. 
You may be entering a season of battling through sickness or have even lost a loved one. And God is saying, Jesus is saying, it's time to step out of the boat and trust in me. Real faith. So it still kind of fits with our series in James. Real faith expresses itself in these particular ways. But today, real faith is expressed as we trust in Jesus. It's not just, I know he is trustworthy. It's a heart response that reveals, I actually do trust in him, and I'm going to get out of the boat, and I'm going to do what he asks me to do. And so, if you would, turn to Matthew chapter 14. We're going to begin, actually, at verse um, 22, but I need to set it up for a moment. Um, I'm going to recap the first 21 verses very quickly. Um, And and I want you to focus on Jesus' physical and emotional strength um, being put to the test and being stressed. Jesus just learns that John the Baptist, someone very dear to him, the one that paved the way for Jesus to come, had just been put to death. And so, when Jesus learns of this, he hears of this, he withdraws to a quiet place in a boat, to a desolate place, by himself. But the crowd still would not leave him alone. They learned where he was, and they went, and it says, and the passage goes on to say, and even while Jesus is mourning the loss of John the Baptist, he is still compassionate toward those that come to him, and he goes on to heal the sick and the lame that are among him. And then, it's late at night, late in the evening, no one has anywhere to go, nothing to eat, and Jesus addresses the crowd, asks them to sit down, and 5,000 men plus women and children are fed by Jesus as he performs yet another miracle. Now look at verse 22. Imagine now Jesus being physically and emotionally drained based on the day he had just experienced and the things that he had just learned. Let's read verses 22 to 33 together. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up onto the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Now in just a moment, we're going to talk about the things that we can glean from this passage, but we're going to just take a little walk through it from beginning to end, beginning at verse 22, okay? Okay. So remember, Jesus had just wore himself out 
both emotionally and physically, by the information he had received about John the Baptist and taking care of the needs of those that were around him. He dismisses the disciples, he puts them in a boat, and he sends them off, he, he sends the crowd away, and then he goes and he finds a place uh, for himself uh, to be able to regather himself. And so, he goes up to a mountainside by himself to pray, and when evening came, he was alone. He was alone with the Father. I think you know what that's like, don't you? When you've had a day, you get up in the morning, you're scrambling to make sure the house is in order before you leave, breakfast is prepared, you head to your workplace. Workplace treats you like worse places does sometimes. People don't think well of you. Work doesn't go in accordance with your good and perfect plan for the day, does it? You come home, you scramble around to make sure food is on the table, then you go and you coach your little kids, your, your child's Little League baseball game. And that never goes well, especially after a day like you had just been through. And you can't stand the umpire because he never makes the right call. And these kids aren't doing exactly what you want. By the end of that experience and the day that you just had, you are ready to find a place where you can just unplug. What do you do when life gets crazy like that? Do you do what Jesus did? Do you escape and find a place where you can spend with God the Father in order to reset? Or maybe you're someone that we talked about last week that finds his answer or her answer in a bottle. Maybe you're someone that just stiff arms the family and says, I'm out of here, I'll be back when I'm ready. How do you respond when days like that happen? Because that's the kind of day Jesus had. He spends time with the Father. Look at verses 24 and 25. After he had spent time with the Father, it's really, it's, this is kind of a crazy experience to me because he started in the evening with the Father, the evening of the prior day, with the Father on a mountainside, spending time with Him. And then verse 24 says, But the boat by this time with the disciples was a long way from land, and it was beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them, against the disciples. And in the fourth watch of the night, He came to them walking on the sea. Now let's paint, let's paint the picture here for what this is looking like. All right? Fourth watch of the night is 3 a.m., to 6 a.m. That's the fourth watch of the night. So Jesus had spent significant time with God the Father, and he decides it's time for me to go and catch up with them. One of the other gospels, it's either Matthew or John, says that Jesus intended to walk past them. I wonder why he wanted to walk past them. Do you think they were fighting about who was going to row next? As they spent the entire night fighting against the wind and the waves. But he didn't. He didn't. Fourth watch of the night, 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. Against the winds and the waves against him. Now, I want you to think, how would you have felt in that moment? John says that they were three to four miles off land. For, so for three to four miles, they were against the wind, against the waves, probably wet, tired, irritable. This is what it would be like for me. When Wendy and I first got married, I learned that the Burke family does things way differently when it comes to going on vacation. My family would start at like three in the morning 
to start driving on vacation, and we would drive into the day. The Berg family starts at 3 or 4 in the afternoon, and you drive into and through the night. And so I've had this experience, not, not rowing at 3 o'clock in the morning against wind and waves. But as my family assured me, yes, we will absolutely drive for you when you get tired at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. And so we're somewhere in the middle of Tennessee or on our way to Florida. And when I think about that, I can easily relate to what the disciples were probably experiencing at this moment. Tired, wanting to pull over, just wanting the drive to be finished. Back and legs wet with sweat, irritable about being up at 3 o'clock in the morning. I wonder how the disciples felt. And then, as they're suffering at this time, he comes to them walking on the sea. Now, I want you to think, how would you have responded? The disciples see him walking on the sea, and they are terrified. And they say it's a ghost, and they cry out with fear. What is it like to be terrified? Kids, I want you to think for a moment right now, what is it like to be terrified, and what comes out of your mouth when you are terrified? I wonder if you could do that right now. What would it sound like to express with your voice what it means to be terrified? Can you do it? Anybody? How about you scream right now at the top of your lungs? On the count of three. (laughs) I knew it was there. I knew it was there. And I think a group of 12 men in a boat would sound exactly like that. I, had a, I know a guy who took his, it was a group of guys and their sons went to climb a big rock out west. And uh, when, the, when they were a thousand feet up, um, they're on ropes, of course. The kid fell and his dad declared, I mean, he was on ropes. The, the dad declared, I now know what it sounds like from what it would sound like if my son thought he was dying because of what came out of his mouth. And it's not like William Wallace Manley. It's like shrieking like that. I'm scared to death because I'm going to die. So Jesus comes walking to them on the water. Uh, where are we at? How would you have responded when you see Jesus walking on the water? To me, it'd be like Somewhere in the middle of Tennessee at 3 o'clock in the morning, it's raining and the wind is pushing the suburban around and I'm irritated because I don't want to be here anymore. And then I look out the window going 75 miles an hour and I see Jesus running right next to me. Jesus is like, hey, that's what it would be like for me. He came to them walking on the sea, but when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It is a ghost. And then in that moment, verse 27, but immediately Jesus wastes no time. He speaks to them and he says, take heart, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. The voice of the Lord Jesus settling the hearts of the ones who are terrified. You don't have to worry about this. I'm here. It is me. I wonder what the voice of Jesus sounded like in that moment. Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. 
it is I, is more literally translated like this. I am. Jesus says, take heart, I am. I wonder what the disciples' response was in that moment, because my, I believe their thoughts echo back to Exodus when Moses was standing before the burning bush and the voice of God was coming out saying, I want you to go and I want you to declare to my people this is what I'm going to do for them. And he's like, they're not going to believe me. Who should I tell them who sent me? And he said, I am who I am. God said, I am who I am. You tell them I am sent me. And Jesus says to the disciples as he's walking on the water, I am God. You have no reason to be terrified. Such power, such power, referred to it earlier in the service. When Jesus spoke, I am, to those that came to arrest him, they fell down flat because of the power that exists in the voice of Jesus and who he is in him declaring himself to be God. I am he. You know what? When I think about the moments in life that are terrifying, when you receive news you don't like, You just think about the one who says, I am Jesus. He declares, I am God. He's also the one that says in Joshua 1.9, I know you know it. Have I not commanded you? This is a command now. You're to be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Why? Because I am is with you no matter where you go. And that promise is true for every person that places his or her faith in the person of Jesus Christ. Christ. And then Matthew zeroes in on Peter. You, uh, hold on a second. We'll come to what I think about Peter. You've watched, I'm, I'm just supposing that many of you have watched The Chosen and kind of put flesh on this guy that we read about Peter. So Jesus says to Peter, where am I at? Well, let, let, let's, let's start with this. Jesus is walking by this boat, and it's either Mark or John records that he intends to walk past. I wonder, I wonder what he saw. Now think about this. Think about, Jesus had his holy hands full with this group of people, this group of men, 12 guys that he chose to be the ones that would, after he was gone, declare the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have Simon the Zealot, the one who was ready to kill a Roman for the sake of the freedom of, Jeru- of Israel, the people of Israel. And then you have, on the other hand, you have Matthew, this tax collector, that was willing to work with Rome for his own benefit. So imagine those two sitting next to each other, soaking wet, three o'clock in the morning. Matthew wanting to kick Simon into the water. And then you have doubting Thomas. This would be me. I'd be doubting Thomas. You would have to prove it for me. When Peter got out, I would be, I'd be Thomas like, yeah, you go first. I'll go after you. I want to see first. You have this doubting Thomas that wouldn't believe anyone. Yeah, you got to prove it to me first. Let's see, who else do we have here? We have James and John, the sons of thunder, who wanted authority. So much so, they sent their mom to ask Jesus to have two very special places in his kingdom. And Jesus is probably looking at him like, you send your mom to ask me for a position of power? These are the guys that Jesus had to deal with. And then Peter. 
Peter is the one that I would want to not ever be around. I'm going to put it in those terms. He would have irritated me to the end. But we love Peter because of the things we learned through his reckless way of approaching Jesus and what Jesus had to offer. So, Peter. Peter answers him, Lord, if it is you, verse 28, command me to come to you on the water. I love that. Hey, God. Hey, Jesus. Command me to come to you on the water. Now, this can be translated, which I believe is a more literal translation, and Peter answered him, Lord, since it is you, and you count what Peter has already seen through the person of Jesus Christ. He's walking on water to start with. He just fed 5,000 people, plus 5,000 men, plus women and children. He had just raised someone from the dead. He had healed the sick. He had done miraculous work after miraculous work. He even, back in Matthew chapter 8, it is recorded that Jesus was was asleep in the bow of a boat and they were perishing. They were afraid that the boat was going to turn over and they were all going to die. And Jesus gets up and he rebukes the wind and the waves and everything calms down. These are the things that Peter has seen. And so I believe Peter said, since it is you, I want you to tell me to come out in the water. How often do we do that? All right, God, here's the deal. I'm going to tell you how I want it to go. Now, when I tell you, that's the way I want you to tell me it's going to happen. So, so Jesus, command, since it is you, command me to step out of the boat. So I want you to do it my way. How often do we do that? You know, when our feet hit the water, though, we often, how often does the self-talk happen? I hear Miley Cyrus saying, if you can believe it, you can do it. It's all on you. Just step out of the boat and you'll be able to walk on water. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And very often we go to, I can do all things, and we forget the rest as we begin to experience success in the very thing we set our minds to do. And so Peter steps out. He walks to Jesus on the water. And verse 30 says, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid and he began to sink. You know what? We are so often, I'll speak personally, and you can come along with me if you like, but very often, I know, I know I have faith in Jesus Christ. I know that. I have come into relationship with him. He has proven himself over and over and over again. But yet the next time he asked me to step out of the boat and walk on water, my trust in him begins to falter and I feel the water creeping up over my ankles and then to my knees. I'm walking on water, but then I see the wind and the waves and it causes doubts to start creeping in that I must wrestle with. Does he even really care? Do you resonate with that one? Does Jesus even care what I'm going through right now? He asked me to step out of the boat, but does he even care what I have to endure right now? Hey, maybe you think his care is conditional. So in other words, all right, I'm stepping out of the boat, but you know what? If I mess up over here and I mess up over there, I wonder how many times I mess up before he starts to permit me to sink. His care is conditional on my behavior 
How long before I fail enough? I wonder if you wrestle with this doubt. You, hey, you got yourself into this mess, now you get yourself out of it. That's not Jesus. How about the doubt of I wonder? I wonder if he is even able to sustain me and to keep me afloat. Well, Jesus never wastes a moment, does he? He takes absolutely every moment of our lives to use it in order to teach us about who he is and what he is capable of. Jesus permitted Peter to sink. He permits us to sink. But he will never, ever let us be overwhelmed by what he has asked us to step into. And so Peter cries out. End of verse 30. He cries out, Lord, save me. These are the best words that any single one of us, whether we are in relationship with Christ or not, Lord, save me. The most powerful words we can utter. Because what it's saying is, I can't, but I know you can. Peter says, save me, Lord. And what does Jesus do? Immediately, look at verse 31, immediately reaches out his hand and took hold of him saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? Even in our doubts, when we cry out to Jesus, he wastes no time to save us. Jesus was Peter's salvation. In Jesus is our salvation. Maybe you're sitting here right now and saying, you know what, Todd? I heard your testimony, you and Wendy. I heard your testimony a couple of weeks ago. He told you to step out of the boat, and you did, and he still took your wife from you. And I heard Wendy's testimony. Yeah, yeah. He said, I want you to step out of the boat, and he, takes, and he took Dave, Wendy's late husband, from her. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. You were sinking, and Jesus never put his hand out to save you, and you went under. I suppose that's a perspective you could have. And maybe in the moments, we did wrestle with stuff like that, with thoughts like that. But I can tell you on the other side of it. You ask Dave, and you ask Andrea, and they're like, man, he saved me far beyond anything you could ever imagine. And when I look back on those times, I don't see pain anymore. What I see is the sustaining hand of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, guiding us and leading us and carrying us through it. He says, you're going to walk on water and I'm going to help you. Just keep your eyes where? Fixed on me. Jesus was Peter's salvation and he is ours. Hey, no matter what you're thinking right now, about your challenge that you might be facing, you're your sinking into your hips in the water, I promise you this, because the Holy Scriptures say so, God is still good. He is still good. Verse 32 says, And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. There is a purpose in the scary things, church. The wind has a purpose. The waves have a purpose. But Jesus is the one who settles all of the scary things. They got into the boat and the wind ceased. 
Pretty amazing, isn't it? And then verse 33 says, And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. An amazing experience that I wonder if we had the choice back then, not knowing what was about to transpire, if we would have chosen to get in the boat. Well, let's wrap this up with a few things that we absolutely must take away from this passage, okay? I have faith in Jesus, and I wonder if you do too. I have faith in Jesus, but sometimes things put my ability to trust in Jesus to the test. Puts it to the test. Hard things. I have faith in Jesus, so how do I trust, especially when it's hard? Well, first, here it is, you must believe in him. He is our gospel salvation. You must believe in him. He is, Jesus is, I am. Jesus is God, and he is the one that provided a way for us to be saved from eternal separation from God the Father by going to the cross for us and giving himself is the one who would stand in between us and God the Father and receive the judgment that we deserve. He gives his life on the cross, and then he raises himself from the dead. And then at Pentecost, God pours his spirit out on those who would believe in the person of Jesus Christ and saves us. He is our salvation. You must believe in him. You know what, brother and sister in Christ, those who already believe and have faith, he's still our salvation. He's the one that saves us from these hard things. Amen to that. Second, listen to him. When he says he is God, you must believe him. Listen. When Jesus says, get out of the boat, it's time to listen to him. When he says, get out of the boat, that means the safest place for you is to be in water that's 900 feet deep with wind and waves and splashing all around. That's the safest place to be, not in the boat, because Jesus said, I want you to get out of the boat. He says, come to me, listen to him. Peter didn't have to get out of the boat, but what I love about him is he wanted to. And as the passage goes on, here's the third takeaway for us. We have to, must, marvel at his might. And this is what that means. Stop looking for the ugly things in life and start looking for the spectacular things that Jesus has done for you. Start, start training yourself by thinking on the good things that Jesus does for you instead of, start, instead of focusing on the bad things and start marveling at what he has done for you already. And then we see at the end, verse 33, those in the boat worshiped him. So as you marvel at his might, number four, worship him. He is the one who proves himself trustworthy. And as you worship him, he changes your affections to match his. And he starts to bring life in accordance with the way he thinks it should be. And you start falling into submission to that. And you absolutely love it. Believe in him. Listen to him. Marvel at his might. 
and worship him. So for the one who has already placed his or her faith in Jesus Christ, you have faith and you're challenged to trust in certain life situations. I want to leave you with this question. In what way is Jesus asking you to step out of the boat and walk on water with him? How's he doing that? And so if you're here today and you have yet to place, to place your faith in the person of Jesus Christ, you have yet to bow your knee to him, your first step is right out of the boat and right to him. You place your trust in him. Remember, in this world you will have trouble whether you are a Christian or not, but I make but the Bible declares it will go so much better for you if you are in relationship with the person of Jesus Christ. He's asking you to step out of the boat, and this means releasing control to him. Let him lead you. So, if Jesus is calling you out of the boat, which he probably is, and if he's not now, he eventually will. Here's the warning. The boat is the most unsafe to place, most unsafe place to be because Jesus doesn't want you in the boat. He wants you out of it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the example of the disciples that you've given us and how they responded to you and how we can learn from them and their choices and their mistakes and their successes. Thank you, God. Now, Lord, I pray as we continue on in our time of fellowship together that you would, you would continue to provoke the heart of each one that's here. May our faith, Lord, be proved as we trust in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Todd. Uh, as we move into responding in worship, this is the scripture that we're going to read. You can stand with us. Psalm 119, 27 through 32 says, Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far from me, and graciously teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I will run the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart.
Even when we're faithless, he remains faithful. Think about the reality of the picture that what we've heard is trying to paint to every single one of us, and that's faith that resides in us is not going to be perfect because we are not perfect. He is. And even when we step out on the water and we doubt and will inevitably be fearful of the things around us, who is the one that's there to save us always? The faithful one, Jesus. It's not, what are you doing? Look, yeah, look at you sinking. Look at, yeah, you deserve it. Go ahead, bye-bye. You're sinking. No, it's, I love you. I'll always be there for you. I'm faithful. I've given my life for you. Step out. I'm with you. What it is, I'm telling you to step out. I'll be with you. You might even fail. You might even doubt me. Guess what? I'll be there right there with you. You call to me. I will always be there. You ask for salvation, I will give it to you. God, give us the faith to even trust and rely and know these things and speak these things over our life when the enemy's trying to invade us with lies constantly. Church, I hope you know him. If you're here, if you're watching, you do not know Jesus. You don't have a personal relationship. All of the Bible is trying to bring our focus to this one thing, and that's trust, belief. Hey, we're glad you're with us. We have a special time of fellowship and food afterwards. And we're going to ask that if you're going to be part of that, go straight to the gym afterwards. I'm going to pray right now for the food. So as soon as we leave and we go back there, you can begin partaking. So let us pray together. Father, thank you for this wonderful day. Thank you that we can hear thousands of years later, visualize something that actually happened that was miraculous your son walking on water, but I pray that you'd help us to understand what it is you're trying to communicate to us through that. Pray that if you're asking us to step out in faith in some way, which you are for all of us in some way, we would be obedient to that. And then we'd even trust your saving hand in the fearful circumstances that that would involve. God, we need you even for the faith that we need. Be patient and gentle with us. God, thank you for the food that we're going to eat as it reminds us that you are the spiritual, eternal food that we need. And as our bellies are full and we are comforted by that, we would remember just how much we need you to live. Thank you for all that you do in Jesus' name. Amen.